Um, habits can be very deeply ingrained in our uh, psyche. And uh, indeed, they can be coming from many past lives. So we're going to be discussing, actually trying to change uh, habits in this course. So that, that's, uh, there's a lot of work involved with that. We're going to be presenting some techniques. They're very, very powerful techniques. Um, they're difficult to change, they're difficult to take up because it involves changing habits, but they're actually very simple. And with just some practice, uh, they can be incorporated, incorporated into our life. But uh, because they're techniques, and powerful ones at that, I'd like to stress right now at the beginning that devoid of Krishna consciousness, devoid of the other courses that we have at the Institute, devoid of you know, our chanting of the holy names, they're just empty techniques that have, uh, that have no you know, more use than people in the material world may think you're a nice person. But added to and not substituted with Krishna consciousness, of course, they can increase our uh, service to the Lord, increase our loving exchanges with the devotees, increase our ability to help uh, others. So I really want to stress that, that the techniques that we're, that we're going to be learning, we need to add to them the heart of a devotee. Okay? The actual sincerity of purpose within our own lives to uh, overcome whatever obstacles are there to become Krishna conscious and to surrender to Krishna, and uh, the sincerity to, with all of our energy, try to uh, help others. Especially we'll be discussing amongst the, in the association of devotees, but also these techniques you'll see will be equally as applicable in our trying to um, help those who don't know about Krishna come to uh, Krishna consciousness. Okay, but I really want to stress that, that you know, we'll be learning techniques, but we always have to keep in the foreground that um, you know, these are exclusively uh, meant to be used in Krishna's service. Um, what we'll be doing today, and a little part of tomorrow, it depends on how far we get today, we'll, I'll be presenting some background, some of the uh, sort of Krishna conscious philosophical points, the premises, the basis is that we need to have to go on with uh, uh, developing the uh, listening techniques. Well, then we'll be discussing, uh, after that we'll be presenting techniques in listening, developing one, one's ability to listen in all different kinds of situations. Uh, after many, three to four days of that, we'll be going over what I call influencing skills, uh, techniques in influencing others. And then finally we'll be going over some, a real and amazing approach to conflicts, disagreements amongst devotees, uh, amongst people that we may meet out in preaching, and how to come to uh, a, a nice uh, resolution of conflicts that both parties will be happy with. Okay? We, will be, we will be presenting basically um, many of the skills that we'll be teaching you this next two weeks are the same skills that professional counselors use. It's the exact same uh, skills, but it's not that we'll be discussing counseling per se. Actually, we're going to stop um, before actual, you know, full-fledged counseling in, in this course. That takes a long time to develop, and it really 
honestly isn't really meant for all devotees. But these skills that we'll be teaching are, are something that even if uh, we're a very new person to Christian consciousness, we can, uh, we can use very effectively in, uh, in helping others, helping ourselves, and helping develop our relationships. Okay? Ready? <laughs> so the first thing that I want to discuss is something that is not at all contemporary. Okay? It, it's not contemporary, it's quite traditional. And that is surrender. Um, in our modern society, that word has uh, some, you know, horrific connotations. You know, surrender, give up uh, my free will, my independence, uh, it sounds like brainwashing. You know, it sounds like, you know, some kind of cult. It sounds like something, I don't know how many of you are out of Waco, Texas, or something like that. We have quite a few Texans here. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it brainwashing, and we're trained, especially those of us here who come from a Western culture. We're trained in skepticism. It, it's, it's ingrained in our training. I remember we're in, um, growing up in the 70s in America, um, we used to take so much pleasure in, in tricking up the teachers, you know. And they had so many ideas of what was right and what was wrong, and just showing them that they didn't know what they were talking about. And trying to make a fool out of them in some way or another. We, we, we took great, it was ecstatic, <laughs> you could say, to, uh, to do that. And this is not um, at all the Vedic culture. But rather, in the Vedic culture, surrender is the first requirement. Now, this course was uh, originally put together by my Guru Maharaj, Srila uh, Burijan Prabhu, and he was teaching it in the context of Gurukula, teachers and students. So especially today and parts of tomorrow, I may be using that, that sort of uh, set, teachers and students, but we can uh, replace that with um, so many different sort of authority subordinate um, relationships in Krishna consciousness, temple president to devotees, guru to disciple, husband and wife, um, etc. And beyond that, you'll see as we learn the techniques that it's not only with one, one person's a subordinate, one person's an authority, but rather in all relationships these uh, same techniques apply. But I may, in the beginning, use student and teacher, just because that's the uh, way in which the materials were uh, originally written, which I will be giving you uh, several, as the days go on, several different uh, printed materials for you to read. The one for today is being photocopied uh, now, and at the end of class, I'll tell you how you can get that. I first need to know how many devotees are taking this class. <coughs> So in the Vedic culture, there was no discipline problems. In schools, there was no discipline problems. The first requirement was surrender. There was no crazy students making crazy teachers even crazier, as, as you see in the West. If you didn't surrender, then the guru won't accept you. Forget it. The, the, student, the student or the student and the parents had to go up to the teacher and had to beg, fall at his feet and beg, you please educate me. You please give me your mercy. You have so many years of experience. You're so knowledgeable. You have so much more than I have. I fall at your feet and I beg you, please, please teach me. 
And in the Bhagavad Gita we see that before Arjuna said Sishashtehan Sari Mantom Prapanam, before he said, Now I am your disciple, and his soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. Before he did that, there was no instruction. At the most, Krishna said, Behold the Kurus. But then once he did that, then he began. Actually, the Acharyas say that he began with the letter A, just like we begin A, B, C, D, right? So A, Asochana. So he began with the A, B, Cs. You're speaking learned words, but you're a fool. And not only that, but because Arjuna was such a proper student, so submissive, completely surrendered, then he didn't just give him Tehino Shminyapade, hey, we're not this body. But he gave him the highest. Engage your mind in always thinking of me. Become my devotee. Worship me. Offer obeisances to me. In this way you will come to me without a doubt. Okay, he gave him the highest because he, he wanted. That's, this is the nature of the way. When the, when the student comes up to the, the, the teacher, when the disciple comes up to the guru, uh, in that mood, then the guru just wants to pour so many blessings. Give all the inner secrets of his knowledge he wants to give to that kind of disciple. So, um, there's two reasons why this surrender was absolutely necessary in baby culture, and even still today. One reason is practical, the other reason is mystical. Which one do you want to hear first? Mystical. <laughs> mystical. <laughs> he said practical. <laughs> Well, I was ready to start with, I thought everyone was going to say practical, so I'll start with practical. <laughs> <clears throat> Practically speaking, if we have faith and full surrender, then there's no mental platform. Have you had that experience? When you're actually, when your shraddha is, is firm, you're going out on some kirtan, you're chanting the holy names. There's really, it's so easy to get a taste. You're, you're, this, you're understanding this name is Krishna. I'm out here distributing these books. He's benefiting so many people. <clears throat> And it's, it's so essential. The, uh, you know, sometimes the material world is compared to um, like a, a big well, right? Isn't it? And over here, spiritual master. Oops, is that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mother Chaturani is teaching a course on art next to us. Actually, his hand is going up. Supposed to be grabbing onto the rope. <laughs> the spiritual master is throwing down the, the rope in order to save us. And this material world is such a dangerous place. It's 100% dangerous. Uh, different descriptions are there in the Shastra of the material world. One is that of a blazing fire. Now just imagine yourself in, surrounded, you're in some forest, and everywhere you look around you there's just a fire blazing. And it's not just for 5 or 10 feet, you know, where you can just run through it quickly and get to the other side, but just as far as you can see, in all directions, there's a fire blazing, and it's coming at you. How frightening that would be. Or it's also compared to a, a, uh, a drown in, being in an ocean. The living entity is in the ocean, 
And even if he's the best swimmer in the world, uh, even if he's, what was that guy's name? Mark Spitz, or whoever, if you're hundreds and hundreds of miles away from shore, just imagine as you start getting more tired and more tired, and the waves are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And sometimes as the waves come, you swallow some water. And very soon you, you feel that there's just every muscle in your body is completely, completely um, burnt. And you, you just, you're going to go down any second. How frightening that would be. That's the position of all of us, every living entity in the material world, although we may not know it. So the spiritual master, he's throwing the rope. But if we think, uh, oh, um, you know, what if he lets go of the rope? Or what if there's really no one up there actually pulling? Or, uh, you know, actually it's kind of nice down here, maybe I don't want to go up afterwards. And how strongly can he pull up on the rope? Right? If you're kind of, you know, you know, dangling there, you're a little uncertain, you're holding by one hand, you're you know. But if you're holding completely with your, all your might, then you can pull very quickly. Right? So, that the, so we, uh, the disciple has to have that full surrender. Please save me, I need you. That mood of, uh, of surrender and humility. Even in mundane Vedic education, there was no knowledge without surrender. Even just learn mathematics, something like that, when we have that mood of surrender to, uh, to the spiritual master. And then mystically, the other reason, is that mystically, yasya uh, prasada bhagavat prasado, that Krishna is only pleased uh, when we please his devotee. And because spiritual knowledge descends it's not based on if we can learn so many, you know, we're, we have vast knowledge of, of uh, the Vedic literature even, or we can memorize so many verses, or we have so much uh, ability, we're very strong, we're very handsome, we come from a great dynasty, a wonderful family. No, spiritual knowledge descends. And so we have to uh, please Krishna's devotee. And this is a big test for us. Big test, because it's easy to say, I ser- I'm going to serve God. Very easy, right? You know, God is so great, obviously, we're so small and undeserving of God. But when Krishna says that one who claims to be my devotee is not my devotee, one who is the devotee of my devotee is my real devotee, then we say, whoa, I have to serve a human being? You know? I mean, he wears glasses, he takes rest, he has to use the toilet. That kind of person surrender to? Forget no way, right? It becomes, uh, but this is what Krishna wants, and this is Krishna's test. Krishna wants us to accept his representative. So the, the Krishna's devotee is not perfect because he wears gla- he, he may forget a, a verse, or he may get sick, or you know he may wear glasses, or he may have a limp. He's perfect because he's for us he's Krishna's representative. Krishna has chosen him as his representative for us individually. And that makes, the, in that sense, he's perfect. So if practically we're not on the mental platform, and from the mystical point of view, if Krishna is pleased, then uh, surrender, we can see, is, is the ideal situation. Now, let's get, <coughs> one time, um, there's one philosopher who said, it's okay to have your heads in the clouds as long as your feet are on the ground.
right? So now we have to be a little practical. The fact of the matter is that in Kali Yuga, almost everyone is rebellious. Again, like I said before, we're trained in skepticism. We're trained not to serve others. And then even worse is when some improper authority comes along. This is practically the worst thing that can happen. And of course, especially in Krishna consciousness. Right? It, why is it so bad? Because it gives us the exact excuse that the conditioned soul is looking for why not to surrender. We don't want to surrender. And then we say, oh, just see, what happened last time I tried to surrender. Right? It gives us the exact excuse. So therefore, we have to uh, be very, very intelligent. And it's so difficult to surrender in Kali Yuga. But point of, the, the thing is, though, that is, surrender is the greatest facility. And it's the only way, when we actually surrender to a bona fide representative of Krishna, and ultimately to Krishna himself, that we become peaceful and secure. It's the only way to be peaceful and secure in this world. So what to do? So surrender is clearly the desirable beginning point in, in so many relationships, and especially teacher, student, guru, disciple. Right? It's the desirable beginning point, but actually the fact is it usually takes time. And it often takes a long time. And it's gradual. So that's what we're going to be uh, discussing these first few days. Um, what to do with the fact that so many, that in so many relationships, and, and we're, we're not, uh, especially in the authority support, there's just there isn't surrender. How to develop that faith? How to develop that trust? It's a, it's a, it's a gradual process. The practical, the practical reality. Although it would be wonderful if we surrendered in a second, but the practical reality in Kali Yuga that generally it's a gradual deepening of faith, deepening of commitment, and based on those deepenings, deepening of surrender. And we want that. We want it. Who here does, doesn't want to actually have full trust, full faith, and full love towards someone who is actually worthy of that? You don't? No, no. Oh. <laughs> 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 yeah. Surrender. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and in one sense, in our preaching and in our helping younger people, uh, people who are less advanced than us, we want them in one sense to surrender to us. Now don't quote me uh, you know, out of place here. But in order to facilitate their surrender to Krishna. And we want to be worthy ourselves of, of some degree of that, and we want to help foster those relationships so that we can help so many other people according to our ability, and as we gradually make progress in Krishna consciousness, surrender more, bring them closer to Krishna's list. Okay. So, uh, that's what we're going to be discussing now. Are there any, any questions so far? Anything? There was one word you used I didn't understand. It was in the very beginning you said the bad habits are so much ingrained in our... Consciousness? Culture. Culture? The Western culture. Anyway, consciousness and culture. Both. I'm not sure about which word I used. Psyche? <coughs> Psyche, our, our mind, our, uh, our uh, Purva Sanskars, our impressions of our mind from earlier this life and previous lives. Okay?
So we'll go on. So, what do we do with these unsurrendered people all around us, including ourselves? All right. Let's. Uh, I hate to erase this work of art, but I will in order to make another work of art. So the first thing that we have to discriminate between is uh, what is acceptable behavior and what is unacceptable behavior. Okay. Make a little rectangle here. This is an important thing to uh, distinguish. Now, whoops. say you're the temple president, okay? And Godas is peacefully taking prashadam in the prashadam hall, okay? Is that acceptable or unacceptable to you? Acceptable. Acceptable. Okay, now, if Godas peacefully takes prashadam and then leaves his plate there expecting somebody else to pick it up after him, where that's not the temple policy, <laughs> Is that acceptable or unacceptable? Good. Now I'll try to... We have Grihastas here and Brahmacharis here, so I'll try not to use all Grihasta examples, I'll try not to use all Brahmachari examples, I'll try to uh, be uh, politically correct for ISKCON in the 90s. You know? um, if, say, your husband and your wife is peacefully uh, chanting her japa during the japa period, is that acceptable? Yes. Okay, yes. I mean, generally speaking, that would be acceptable. Now, if the same wife, after chanting her japa peacefully, starts beating you, <laughs> is that acceptable or unacceptable? If <laughs> you deserve it enough. <laughs> if it's uncalled for, <laughs> it's just fun. Spontaneously comes from the chanting of the holy name, <laughs> then uh, we generally would consider it unacceptable. Okay, say in your brahmacharya ashram, uh, one of your fellow brahmacharis is peacefully studying the shastra. Successful behavior. Now, what if that same person, the lights go off and he starts, you know, chopping wood? He's snoring so loudly. Okay, and it's, and it's keeping all the all the other men in the ashram away and it becomes unacceptable. Right? So, this is the first uh, thing we have to distinguish between. And, there are certain factors that we have to take into account uh, when we're distinguishing what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. Okay? The first one is to um, Consider the nature of the uh, of you. Say you're the authority, you're the teacher. We'll use that example now, okay? Like here's one from Srila Prabhupada. Because sometimes one teacher will be more tolerant than another. So if a person is very tolerant, right, this line will go down here, you see? Less things will be unacceptable, more things will be acceptable. And if one is less tolerant, more things will be unacceptable. Okay? So different things will uh, affect that. We'd like to sit down a little bit? Yeah. Um, so let's first discuss the nature of the, of the teacher. 
So here's a nice one. Srila Prabhupada arrived at one in the afternoon on a beautiful sunny day. He wanted first to rest, so Lou offered his own house, an old chicken house. Walking to Lou's place, Prabhupada noticed a few nude men and women hoeing in the garden. One of the workers, a short, stocky man, Herbie Bresak, stopped his work in the garden and came to greet the Swami. Herbie. Lou introduced us. We were planting potatoes at the time. He said, this is Swami Bhaktivedanta. I came out of the garden and shook Swamiji's hand. I said, hello, Swami. He asked me, what are you doing? I told, him, I told him that I was just planting potatoes. He then asked me what I was doing with my life. I didn't answer. After resting for a few moments, minutes, Prabhupada was ready for the kirtan. He and Lu went to the hilly pasture where the hippies had placed a wooden seat for Prabhupada before a bower of wild flowers arranged like a band shell. Prabhupada took his seat and began chanting. The commune members, all of whom had been anticipating that the Swami's visit, gathered eagerly for the group meditation. And with Mike Morisi, he says, some people had clothes on, some people didn't. Some were dancing around, but Swamiji wasn't looking at our bodies. He was looking at our souls and giving us the mercy we needed. The kirtan was well received. One of the members of the commune was so enthralled by the kirtan that he decided to put on his clothes and go back to San Francisco with his phone. Prabhupada spoke very briefly and then he prepared to leave, shaking hands and exchanging courtesies as he walked to the car. So we can see that Prabhupada was right down here. Uh, he, at that time he was preaching, it was the beginning of uh, his preaching in the West, and uh, in the mood of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he was, uh, he was uh, very liberal. Uh, another person comes to mind who wasn't at all in that mood is Durvasa Muni. Right? He seems to be up here someplace. Right? Isn't it? No, seriously, he seems to be that kind of person. Um, that time that uh, there was that that, that incident that led to the uh, churning of the ocean where Indra offended him and uh, Indra even came and begged forgiveness. And with Ambarish Maharaj and Rivasa Muni, and it took him a long time to come to his senses. And just because Ambarish Maharaj took some, took some water, right? Unacceptable. Right? So the nature of the teacher has to be taken into account. And then how about time, place, and circumstance? This is number two. Um, say you're a parent with a little child and you've set up maybe in your uh, in part of a room someplace uh, a place where your child I've seen this many times they can write on they can actually write on the on the wall they take their big blackboards and the child's about three years old and writing a big A and a big B and a big C and the mother comes along and pats them on the head and says very good very good wonderful you're learning your ABCs and he feels great right. And then, the next day, he goes to the neighbor's house, right? And he starts saying, well, last time I put the ABCs on the wall, I got a good pat on my head, right? So he takes out the biggest black crayon he can find, right? And then, whack! You know, mother grabs him and chastises him. And goes, What's going on? Right? Children, especially young children, they're not, um, they're not sensitive yet to time, place, and circumstance. 
So in, in one time, in one place and circumstance, um, someone's acceptable level will be all the way down here, and in another place, say in someone else's house, or in a more formal situation, just like the children, if they were just kind of, if I was an ashram teacher, and the children were just, uh, you know, kind of talking on the veranda, I probably wouldn't mind it on a regular day. Probably be acceptable. But if that same thing is that, you know, uh, so-and-so Maharaj is just about to come, and we're supposed to be on our best behavior, then that same behavior, right? Okay? Then the third consideration is the individual individuality of the student. Okay? Um, for example, when, if you see the photos from San Francisco, you see Hyagrid, he's got a beard to here, and his beard's not there, right? And Srila Prabhupada, he, all he requested them to do was chant Hare Krishna. You know, feeling that the holy name itself would purify. That was in 1967-1968. But then I've, 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 I've heard a lecture in Auckland, um, where when there was a controversy in the 1975-1976 about shaved heads and living outside, and Prabhupada said, one who doesn't shave his head is not my disciple. Uh, so, so you can see, according to the level of advancement, of the student. Here's another one. This is a good one. Devotee, last night I was chanting, and then I thought to myself, oh, I'm not concentrating on my chanting anymore. Now I should go to sleep. So then, Prabhupada interrupts, therefore you are. We have prescribed rules for chanting. You must finish 16 rounds. Then go to sleep. Whole day sleeping. You finish 16 rounds and whole day sleeping. You finish 16 rounds and sleep whole day. I have no objection. And the devotees all start laughing. But then, the devotee says, Prabhupada cuts him off. There is no then. Don't talk nonsense. If you are so much addicted to sleeping, you simply chant 16 rounds and whole day sleep. <laughs> but don't take food also. <laughs> There's more, more laughter. Don't get up taking prasadam. Now I have to want a prasadam. Let me eat sumptuously. Then again, sleep more devotee. Is there some order of priority of service then? I mean, 16 rounds is more important than anything else? And then following that, there's something else? Prabhupada. That's alright. If you cannot do anything else, you simply chant 16 rounds, take prasad, and sleep. <laughs> it is a special prerogative for you. There is no then. This is, this is order for you. So according to the individuality of the student, the, uh, the teacher will have, obviously he wouldn't uh, expect a very strong, but he wouldn't be speaking like that to someone else. But for this person, you just eat, sleep, and she had 16 hours. When did you say that? All I can say, it's in conversation books, conversation book number three, page 264. It's very early days. Early days. Okay, so you see, obviously, you know, we, we do that naturally in our, in our behavior unconsciously. We have different levels of acceptability and unacceptability according to, um, you know, just so many things that are, are going on, so many different circumstances. But this is, uh, now, generally, a devotee's mood is that he minimizes his own likes and dislikes. And uh, he thinks what is best for others. That's the mood of a devotee. So, the devotee's tendency is, uh, you know, is down here, more acceptable behavior. Right? His tendency is tolerance and compassion. But, because he cares about the other person's welfare, 
then uh, for that other person's welfare, he may find things unacceptable. Just to help them in their Krishna consciousness. Right? Like the spiritual master chastising, the teacher being very strict with the student. Right? But not for, not because, you know, uh, not based on his own, like, you know, uh, rag and dwesh, his own attachment and repulsion, but based on what will be the best for this person. Okay? In that, in that mood. But that should be our general uh, mood, is one of compassion and tolerance, but also we should know our limitations. I um, mean, you see sometimes gurukul teachers, you know, uh, that, you know at, in the beginning, I remember when I was first teaching, that was a nightmare. <laughs> you know, they just ran all over me, and I just kind of like, you know, sat there, and, you know, the kids were expert at doing all kinds of, uh, you know, said, okay, here's a new teacher, let's let him have it, you know. <laughs> Like that. So we also have to know our own limitations and our own needs in a relationship when we're deciding what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. Okay, now, so we have some behavior that's unacceptable. So now, how to deal with unacceptable behavior? Okay, this is the next important point. Now, if the person is surrendered, then there's no problem. Right? There's no problem. The person says, uh, Prabhu, you know, I'm having a little trouble chanting my... You should chant your 16 rounds. Okay. And he goes off and says, oh, my spiritual master, that's me. You know, and he just overcomes it because he's fully surrendered. Okay, so now, by the way, partial surrender falls under the category of... What? What did you say? Right. <laughs> Partial surrender falls under the category of not surrendered, okay? You know, sometimes, you know, it means either fully surrendered or unsurrendered. So that, so most of the time we're, we're talking about, uh, how, so what we're really talking about here is how to deal with unacceptable behavior of an unsurrendered person, okay? Now, what we have to do is make a very important distinction. This is the next distinction. Now this distinction, listen to this. Wake up, everybody. <laughs> this distinction, if we apply this to the life, this can help us out so much. In some people's cases, this, just this distinction alone can take away 200% uh, of our anxieties in life. Okay, so this is a very, very important distinction. Now, I will be giving you handouts about this, but it's nice to take some notes. Believe you can teach this? Are you <laughs> Who owns the problem? Okay. And we have to make a little uh, adjustment in our uh, chart here. Okay. We're going to just, uh, because we have to add one more factor to this acceptable and unacceptable behavior. And uh, that is, is the behavior tangibly and concretely causing me a problem. Oops. 
Or is there no problem? Or is it not tangibly affecting me, but it's um, affecting the other person getting his needs or her needs met? Now bear with me for a minute because I know this needs some explanation. Okay? Now these are the most important words. That's why I'm writing so big. Tangibly <coughs> I'm gonna run out of space. Yep, we're gonna make it. And that's all right. And concretely, is this uh, is the behavior there's some problem? Is the problem tangibly and concretely affecting me? Or is it not? This is such an important distinction because based on this distinction, we're going to behave completely differently. Completely differently. We're going to treat, there's a problem. It's either the other person's problem or it's my problem. It's either it's the, um, the temple president's problem or the devotees in the temple's problem. It's the wife's problem or it's the husband's problem. It's the spiritual masters or the disciples. The, um, what other relationships? It's students or the teachers. So we have to, so what, Throughout this whole course, we're going to have to be constantly, we have to learn to think quickly. And whose problem is this? Or is it, you know, or in some cases, there is it really no problem? But we have to uh, distinguish this. Now, when other behaviors affect us tangibly and concretely, we own the problem. It's unacceptable. Oops. Oops. Unacceptable. Okay, it's unacceptable. Uh, what's an example of that? If I was a, say I was a Gurukula teacher, and, okay, I remember this when I was a kid. Uh, we, in, in America at least, I don't know what the schools are like in other parts of the world, they have substitute teachers, and the uh, regular teacher isn't there. And in my wonderful upbringing in school, we used to tear the substitute teachers to pieces. We used to just take such advantage of them because we knew it didn't matter. They were just, you know, they're just like they come one day, they go the next day, they go to another school the next day, you know. They're here today, go on tomorrow. So I remember one time we passed around a note to all the children. I think it was like third or fourth grade. We said, everyone get up and ha go to get a glass of water at 9.30. Everyone. <laughs> all 30 students were there, right? So we all... <laughs> now, does that concretely and tangibly affect my ability to teach? Yes. 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 Now, if Lakshman... Sorry, Luke. But if Lakshman is out, you know, spacing out, looking out the window and seeing if you can see any peacocks or any birds or if it's going you know, is the sun coming out or is it cold or whatever or, you know, daydreaming about book distribution in Hong Kong or whatever, you know. Now, is that tangibly and concretely affecting my ability to teach this class? No. No. Who's, is it a problem? No. Whose problem is it? <laughs> Yours, Papa. <laughs> okay, that's his problem. It's not my problem. Uh, in about two minutes, I'll take questions, okay? Is that all right?
this is such an important thing because the next thing that we're going to be talking about is how we're going to deal with our problems that are ours and how we're going to deal with problems that are others completely differently. So we have to make this distinction or else we're, ruined, we're, we're lost. And so much anxiety, especially amongst people who are leaders, people who are parents, people who are teachers, anyone who has responsibility for someone else, so much anxiety can be overcome just by understanding this. And then the consequences of how to uh, act differently. Okay, let's have a few more examples. Oh, by the way, there is a third possibility, that there's no problem. Okay? And it's in this area where uh, things really take off. For the student and the teacher, the most learning takes place. Um, amongst devotees, the most loving exchanges and the most growing of relationships take place. <coughs> this is what we're, we're looking for. Okay? There's never going to be a time when, when there's just no problems, either theirs or ours. But we want to... Um, the goal is to minimize it as much as possible. Right? So that, that relationships can be fostered and that learning can take place, surrender can take place, etc. Okay? But uh, a few others. Um, okay. Uh, Sandeep is uh, sleeping in the Brahmachari ashram and his roommate is snoring. Whose problem is that? Raise your hand. Chris. Right. And the guy's sleeping. He's, having, he's great. He's going to get up in the morning well rested. Right? No problem for him. Right? It's not going to con it's not tangibly and concretely affecting him at all. But you know, poor Sandeep is you know going to be like you know some star of that, and he's going to be exhausted at Mangalarti, right? It's going to tangibly, tangibly, tangibly have to. These words, you know, it means you know concretely. It it has a concrete effect. Okay, I'm the temple president, and Bhakti Robert is not chanting sixteen rounds. Whose problem is that? Chris Simon. Dr. Robert's problem. Okay, it's not, I can still be a total present. It's not that I don't care for him. I really want to get this, this ownership of the problem. You know, if we say, well, it's not my problem. You know, like that, you know. I'm gonna, that's not what we mean. We're, it's, 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 it, it, you know, we're using certain terms, it's not my problem, but that doesn't mean at all that we don't care about the other person at all. It just means that we're using our intelligence to make a very important discrimination so that we can best help the other person, and also remain sane ourselves. Okay? It's, it's so important, because what can I do if I, if I take it that it's my problem that Bhakti Robert's not chanting his rounds? What can, you know, I'm going to run out of power. What can I do to get him to chant his rounds? Look, Bhakti Robert, you know, really got to chant his rounds. And if he doesn't see it as a problem, look, you really got to chant your rounds. Look, you got to chant your rounds! <laughs> you know, I'm going to kill you if you don't chant your rounds. You run out of you know, it becomes, ultimately, it becomes a bluff. Because you run out of power. If it's someone else's problem, especially if they don't recognize it as such. <coughs> so, and this happens, you know, so many times authorities, you know, we use the term in ISKCON, burn out. Because of this, they run out of power and they don't make this very important distinction. Guru also, I know when I was a Guru, yeah. I wish I would have uh, known about this. I might still be teaching Guru. <laughs> Uh, here's another one. Um, okay, let's pick on one of the ladies instead. Uh, Mother Tapasvini is uh, feeling rejected and uninspired. And I'm, I'm uh, her town president. Whose problem is that? Right. Okay. Um, I'm the town president and Bhakti Bill doesn't like me. 
Whose problem is that? He sure does. He has a problem. <laughs> but, but, Bhakti Bill doesn't like me, and not only that, but he's telling all the other brahmacharis not to follow my instructions. Who owns that problem? What? Yeah. Damn right. Yes. That's right. I mean, I have to do something about that. It's tangibly, concretely affecting my service. Yeah. And making me probably is what what we we've made this distinction now, right? So the next thing, the big question is, okay, now you've made the distinction. What are you going to do? How are you going to deal? We'll first start with this. Unacceptable behavior, you got right? Acceptable, unacceptable behavior of an unsurrendered person when they own the problem. That's the first three or four days, okay? That's the first uh, subcategories, okay? That's what we're going to uh, discuss starting tomorrow. So I'll take questions. Mataji. So I don't understand the example you say for the teacher and the students, you know, it's the fault of the, of the students, you know, if he's facing, you know, because, you know, I have a personal experience that it's going to take on the teacher, you know, the parents will get the fault on the teacher that the child is not learning properly in the class, and it's going to take this, the teacher who is going to suffer for that after, you know, because his reputation will be ruined, and he will not have the confidence of the parents after, and, you know, it's, it, for me, it's his responsibility, you know. We have a teacher here. <laughs> Who's, I, I caught everything except the last sentence you said. For me, it's the teacher's responsibility. For you, it's the teacher's responsibility. Okay. It's a very good question. Did everybody hear? Okay. So we have to keep these words in mind tangibly and concretely. Now, now if. Because Lachlan is spacing out and his mom comes up to me and says, Is your mother in the hood? No, anyway, <laughs> make the issues. Uh, if, okay, how about Lolita? If Lolita is uh, her family, it's devotees. You know, and her father comes up to me and says, you know, you. That, okay, then, indeed, that, that, that may tangibly and concretely, but actually in the classroom, my service right now, I'm in the classroom, I'm teaching a lesson. If he's not, or, or how about if he's, look, like he's looking at me right now, but he's daydreaming, right? The, children are great at that. Actually, one of the amazing things with the difference between children uh, and adults <laughs> yeah, is that um, like if you, <laughs> I'm sure you've seen this already been down, right? It, you know, you, they, they're in front of the deities and they'll just be like this. <laughs> you know, you can you can see it right in their mind. They they don't they. You see, the only thing that we have over children is that we can be thinking about a million things and still chant around. But you see that kids, they usually stop chanting. <laughs> right. So uh, I don't know if we have anything up on them, because, but anyway, um, at that time, it's not tangibly, concretely affecting my service. Now, yes, the consequences may, but but it may not happen. The parents may not ever find out about it. the pay, you know, just because he missed, you know, he missed one lesson on, you know. Uh, Exponential algebra or something. I'm not. You see, I'm not saying it's not the responsibility of the teacher to help the student, but he has to understand how to help him. This. I'm very glad that you brought this up because this is such. This is right at the heart of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, it's not my problem. I'm not saying I'm not going to help him. Okay. 
But it's not, it's tangibly and concretely affecting him. He's not getting, he's not getting his education. He's not learning. I'm going on, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, teach the class. I'm going to walk out the door. I'm going to go to my house and take prasad, open up the Bhagavatam and read, take rest, have a shower. It's not going to affect, you know. I might not even notice that it happened. But he, if, you know, he's going to have a test on algebra and he's going to do get terrible. And then, you know, if he wants to become a mathematician, he's really going to have a hard, you know what I mean. It's, t- it's affecting him, okay? And that's very important for, for me to understand that how I can help him best. I see that he's spacing out, okay? But how am I going to help him? First, I'm going disting- to make this distinguishing. And I think this will become clearer tomorrow when we talk about the actual process of helping him, okay? Because you'll, you'll see, what can I do? If, especially if he doesn't see it as a problem. You don't be stupid man, you know? Look, if you don't do it, you're going to the principal. And say he doesn't, say he doesn't care about that. You're, you're going, uh, you know, I'm going to tell your parents. You know? And, and if, if he doesn't see it, if he doesn't take... I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But one of the roles that we have to do is help the other person recognize that they have a problem. And the way you do that is by not taking on their problem. And you see, I remember when I first joined uh, the Krishna Conscious Movement, we had a temple president. Actually, a very wonderful person, very soft-hearted soul. He wasn't chanting his rounds. And Prabhupada knew it, and Prabhupada still let him be the president. And his problem was, he had, you know, we had about 50 devotees in the temple. He had all 50 devotees' problems constantly on his mind. And he was trying to solve everyone's, everyone's problem, and he, he went nuts. And, you know, he, he became very weak in his Krishna consciousness by not making, because um, he couldn't help others. And he couldn't help himself. And this is what happens. You know, we try, you know, we don't have the power to do it, but how frustrating can you get? You think you're trying, you're trying to be, even trying to be Krishna, kind of trying to do the right thing, but, but we have to learn this very important uh, way of how to actually best help somebody. And I, I hope this will become clear tomorrow. Is that okay? Is that a sufficient answer for today? Okay. Don't need that Detachment. Sometimes we have this this word detachment. We have a really incorrect understanding of so many times. It's not like any detachment. You know, he's detached. He doesn't give a damn about his family and his kids, or you know, couldn't you know just spits on every every woman or man he sees, depending on which sex they're But that this is a healthy kind of you know. I wanted. To, I tried to make that clear that when we say that someone else owns a problem, it's a healthy kind of detachment. It's the kind of detachment necessary to actually help that person. And uh, as we do a little bit about 
a little bit more on the philosophical reasons why it's moral, and then we actually start practicing it. I think uh, my experience has been when I've taught this before that everyone gets that realization. But it's essential. So even uh, his spiritual master's glory isn't that he just keeps, you know, like the devotees, like really neophyte and just they need to, you know, you know, call him up for every little problem. But actually, the spiritual master trains the disciple to be strong and, in one sense, independent. Obviously, fully, fully dependently independent. Right? And this, and that's also part of uh, what we're going to be discussing tomorrow. Any last? Well, obviously he wanted him to start chanting his rounds again. But he didn't say you can keep not chanting your rounds. He told him you should start chanting rounds again. But he, wanted, he also saw so many good qualities in that person. I, I, I don't remember, I was a young devotee in those days, but it might have been also there was no one else qualified. You know, there's so many um, different factors. Um, you know, my Guru Maharaj gives the example of one time he, Prabhupada, told him, we were talking about uh, the, teacher, the teacher has different uh, levels of acceptability and unacceptability. So at one time, I guess this is before you were born. Um, he, he asked uh, Prabhupada, what do you want me to do? And Prabhupada said, just go to some place where you'll be peaceful. So he said at that point, because you know, he had just been in a, in, a, in a talk in Hong Kong for many years with no association, most difficult of circumstances. And at that point in his life, that was, he could handle that instruction. Right? But it wasn't that he was expecting him to stay and that just do it, whatever is peaceful for you, you know, obviously. And then from there, you know, it went back and the instructions became, you know, more and more surrender as, as the relationship increased again. Right? So sometimes, you know, the expert teacher, which is what, in one sense, what Prabhupada was, the supermost expert teacher, we'll see where, what, what medicine a person needs at the time, and sometimes we'll get very candy-coated. And at other times, extremely bitter, depending on the needs of the uh, student. Because, probably, what we were talking about in the beginning, Prabhupada's heart was only for the benefit of the other person. I think we've run out of time for today. So, homework. <laughs> yes! Um, a lot of what I've covered, I, I kind of hope you took some notes on some things, but I'm going to be photocopying uh, a book called The Art of Teaching by uh, my guru, Murray Jamprabhu. That will be, this book will be coming out in Kartik, but uh, there's two chapters in that book dealing with, uh, with what we're doing right here. I actually, uh, one of the chapters I helped um, write some of the materials based on preparing for this course. So... <coughs> Unfortunately, the second half got photocopied, and not the part that I want you to read right away. I'm going to try to send it down to the photocopiers right after this class. Hopefully, I'll have it in my office this afternoon, and you can stop by the office. Uh, and if no one's there, you can come to room 50, which is right at the end of this corridor. Okay. Now, uh, while I'm just giving out the homework assignment, Lita, can you count the number of people? Stand up and count, so I know how many photocopies to make. So what I want you to do for homework, 
is to try to come up with um, three problems that uh, you own in your life. You know, they don't have to be, you know, I'm not going to, uh, they can be very personal, they can be made up. Just uh, think of three problems um, in, in some relationship that, uh, that you know, there's some difficulty with. No, you can make them up. They can be, uh, and you don't have to tell us if they're made up or not. My wife beats me. <laughs> no, she doesn't. Not too often. Um, now, when you get the assign, when you when you get this uh, materials for tonight, I want you to read page one twenty nine to one thirty four. One twenty nine to one thirty four. You have to do that. Those five pages, and I hope you'll find time either tonight or tomorrow night to read the preceding eight, uh, eight pages, nine pages, okay? This is a must. And this will kind of be a review of what we went over today, okay, to kind of reinforce it, okay? So three problems and a little bit of reading. And thank you very much. All glories to Srila Prabhupada.